0: Again to another episode of the Five Things I Read This Week podcast. I'm your host as always, Zach Schmal, and this is episode number 44. Man, we've almost been doing this for an entire year. That's crazy. I feel like we just started. So the Five Things I Read This Week podcast is a division of Entering the Public Square, a blog founded on the sincere belief that every Christian should understand the importance of discussing Christianity in the marketplace of ideas. You can find us online at enteringthepublicsquare.com. The podcast is hosted there. You can also find the podcast in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, on Podbean. So there are plenty of ways to check it out if you are so disposed. Now, this week, we're going to be talking about meaning because meaning matters, and I think that there's this human tendency to desire meaning. We look for it in so many different ways, and we look for it in so many different places. And the thing about it is that not all places are created equal. When we're looking for meaning, some places are going to do really well, helping us discover that meaning. Some of them are quite frankly going to disappoint us, and we won't find our meaning in that. So that's kind of where I want to uh, want to start us out today. And the first article I have for you is from the Imaginative Conservative, and it was written on July 7th by Robert Stacey, entitled Finding Your Why. So Dr. Stacey is an educator, and... He starts out with a quote from Mark Twain. You might have heard it before. The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. And so the question is, you know, how how, how do you discover, right, why you were born? How do you find this purpose, this meaning for your life? And Stacy, as a Christian educator, says, quote, God infuses each one of us with a unique complement of gifts and attributes. No two are the same. Finding out what those gifts consist of and how to make the best use of them is essential to a happy, productive, meaningful life. And he goes on to say how, in general, a lot of education through standardized education and standardized testing as a result of that, tend to kind of do away with those unique attributes that each one of us have and force people into a similar mold where some people just aren't going to fit. So his point is, you know, why? Why are we here? What's the meaning? Well, the meaning is to use the gifts and attributes that God has for us. And when we make use of them, we are going to have happy, productive, meaningful lives. This isn't some type of, you know, prosperity gospel where you're going to become rich and famous and have a jet that you, you know, fly all over the world and have houses at every corner. I mean, that's not, not the point. But when you do what God would have for you to do, what God designed for you to do, you are going to be fulfilled in a way that you could not be fulfilled otherwise. All other things are going to fall short. So, you know, as we talk about meaning and purpose, I mean, as Christians, this is where we have to start, right? God made each one of us for a purpose. There's a unique thing that we can do. And because of that uniqueness, and because of that you know, special, really whole that we are able to step into and fill. That's how we discover why we were created, born, and continue to live on this earth. So this is a great read for you. It was written on July 7th on the Imaginative Conservative by Robert Stacy, and it is entitled Finding Your Why. Moving on then on a very similar theme I have an article from the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. It was written on July 6th by Hugh Welshell. Art, Vocation, and Why We Hunger for Redemption Stories. And this one is very similar to the theme of our most recent issue of An Unexpected Journal. I know I've talked about it on this podcast before. I've written about it on Entering the Public Square. If you're interested in this idea of Your story and redemption and things of that sort. You know, be sure to read some of the things that my amazing classmates and uh, fellow collaborators and conspirators have written. There's some great stuff. But this article by Walshall, he starts out with a question. How is it that we can read a story comprised only of words of ink printed on pages of paper and be so deeply moved? There's a question, right? And he goes on to talk about what Covenant Seminary Professor Jeremy Bars refers to as Echoes of Eden, which are defined as memories of the true story of who we are and of the world as God originally created it. Beautiful, good, and glorious. So in these works of art or literature or some type of artistic expression, where we see that beauty, where that beauty shines through. At that point, we hear these echoes of Eden. We we understand that there is a right thing, and we're drawn to it. Why are we drawn to beauty? Because it reminds us of the one who is beautiful, who is the beauty by which everything else is measured. When we think about, really, how God created the world, it was good. Albeit our sin did a major number on our world. It corrupted the world in fragile fashion. But, as Barr said, There's no separation between the secular and the sacred. Just as we need to stop talking about secular jobs and sacred jobs, I think when we discuss the arts, we should stop using the language of secular topics and sacred topics. And so, when we think about it, we have, well, really, this... Desire we have this longing and we feel these echoes of Eden we hear them They come through and we recognize them and we realize that even though we do live in the dark place When we see something that's consistent with the way the world ought to be We want to go there we want to be drawn in we are emotionally attracted to these types of things because it reminds us of, really, what we were designed to be a part of. We remember, and even if we've never experienced it, something innate within us as people created in the image of God are drawn towards that which is really our true home, which is what God originally intended for us, a perfect world. So, you know, when we talk about meaning, when we talk about this idea of what does it mean, and how do I find my meaning, and I, I want to know my purpose, but how do I find it? Well, we have to remember this from Walshell, and in this interview from Jeremy Bars of Covenant Seminary. We're going to find that meaning when we get in line with what God would have for us. When we feel these desires of the way something ought to be, that's a pretty good sign that we're heading towards that which is good and therefore will fulfill the purpose God had for us. So often we want to run off and do it our own way. I mean, we don't really want to submit. To have authority, and so we say, "Oh, you yeah, know, I want that over there." But then we have face to face with these echoes of Eden, and we are blown away. Really, we realize that all of our efforts to be rebellious and things of that nature—we just they're insufficient. There, that we have all these ideas. And we just realize, huh, God's way is the right way. That's important as we look for meaning. It's not the meaning that I want, it's the meaning that God wants. So this article was written by Hugh Walshell for the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics on July 6th. Art, Vocation, and Why We Hunger for Redemption Stories. Moving on then to a duo of articles, from Intellectual Takeout, the first one, was written on July 5th by Annie Holmquist, is the inability to adult, driving the teen summer job decline. So, I don't know about your hometown, but mine? There's help wanted the signs everywhere. And interestingly, they're at places that would be traditionally hiring high school students. Fast food, retail, things like that. They have jobs. And they need people to fill them, but the signs stay up. There's a chart in home price article that shows that teen employment is way below, even just recently in 2000. So in 2000, the summer average for jobs was 51.7% of 16 to 19-year-olds had jobs. The rest of the year it was only 43%. Obviously, some people don't work during the school year. Now, well in 2017, only 35%. So that's a 16.7% drop in summer employment. That's almost one out of five. Not quite, it's a little more than one out of six, but less than one out of five. So, it seems to be the case, right, that teenagers aren't working. and yeah, why might that be well it, it seems to be really as home Park says there's really this this tendency for young people to grow up later and later and later and in earlier generations young people, when they were about sixteen, would go to work. It was just what you did because you were preparing. You were making money for what you, you know, wanted to do. And you know, it it was good. It was kind of a rite of passage, if you will. As a quote from Home Press right here, the young people of earlier generations knew that it was time to grow up and throw themselves into a life of hard, but rewarding, work. Nowadays, we have a lot of teenagers, and even people into their 20s, and you hear about them on the news, and we had to laugh. At least I had to laugh. And it's a serious problem, though, so maybe I shouldn't laugh. But I think you get my point. It's like, ha, that's ridiculous. That guy, or, you know, that girl... They're 30 years old and they've never had a job. And now, is it any surprise that teenagers don't have jobs? I mean, it. When we think about meaning, when we think about purpose, there's a very clear mandate that when Adam and Eve are thrown out of the Arden God says that Adam is going to work and it will be difficult for him. Prior to the fall, remember that there was work to be done. Adam was supposed to tend the garden. So it's not that work in and of itself is inherently evil. It is, though, that we don't want to work, even though we have been designed to work, as God would have us to do, therefore, when we think about meaning and we talk about meaning, I think young people are missing out on part of what it means And I was one who really did not work much during high school. I did my senior Year. I had a little part-time work. But, you know, I I didn't do a whole lot. So maybe you'll say I'm hypocritical. I don't know. But my point is that we really, we want to make sure that people aren't caving in to their desires. They're not caving into this idea that I don't want to work, I don't have to work. because work is a rewarding experience. Work oftentimes helps people find meaning. Now, it's not perfect. It's not as fulfilling as God, but I'm just saying, a lot of our identity is wrapped up in no job. A lot of people wake up in the morning to go to work. And it's a big motivator for them to have something to do when they wake up. So, you know, when you think about meaning, I, I saw this article and it hadn't made sense to me. And if teenagers are losing that desire to work or whatever reason, they don't want to go get jobs, or maybe they can't, but it, it more seems like they don't want to. Then we're headed to a point where meaning is going to be hard to hum by. Because we're removing a major part of what makes us human. What we were designed to do even pre-Fall. So, this article is from Intellectual Takeout. Written by Annie Holmquist on July 5th. Is the inability to adult driving the teen summer job decline? Then, another article from Intellectual Takeout by Todd Rains from July 13th, 2018. Wait thinking for yourself? Think again. Now, Rains is talking about a book that I've heard a lot about by Alan Jacobs entitled, How to Think a Survival Head for a World at Odds. Now, the point of this article is that there's a lot of people you know, who say, oh, Alright, I was in one camp, but you know what? I thought for myself, and now I'm over in the other camp. I've changed my mind. I was a Democrat, and I became a Republican because I realized their economic plan was better. Oh, well... I'm a Democrat, but I was a Republican, but you know, I I couldn't get behind Republicans on social issues. Yeah, you, know, you you know, people move their, uh, their ideologies and they they say, Oh, I you know, it was all my choice, right? Well, Jacob's intention through the third hole written by Reigns is that The... Really... A lot of times... You... You might think... You know, that... You've really, uh... You've really done it, you know? You think, oh man, I broke him free. I got rid of that dogma that I used to have, and now now I'm, you know, I'm freely, I'm on my own, but really, and this is something that Range points out, you're not really thinking free, you simply moved your ideology from one entity to another. So, you say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I've divorced myself from the Democratic Party. You know what? I'm now a Republican. So, we haven't really started thinking for yourself. You're just changing who you line up with. You've started to kind of draw into a group. This is a question then that Raynor raises. Well, how do we decide if it's a good group or a bad group? Um, It it really... Rand states Alan Jacobs' argument, and he says, Jacobs argues that we can determine whether we belong to an insidious inner ring or a healthy group by watching the way it responds to thought. And then a little further down, if intellectual bouncers toss out the inquiring thinkers, we have a problem. Instead of being based on conformity and isolation, healthy communities thrive when its members are able to be virtuous and individual. So, it's somewhat... It's somewhat fascinating. And I hope, I hope I'm in this well, because I think it's really, 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 really important when we think about this idea of meaning. Because if my meaning is to pursue the truth, I have to go wherever that leads. And it may not match up perfectly with many different groups you will find that you have ideological differences with a lot of people. If you start reaching out and start talking about controversial things, a lot of people will say, well, I just don't believe that, you're wrong. And you have to move on. So our meaning, when we think about that, we really, we can't help but come back to this idea. That you know, our purpose can't just be something in our own mind. We flip flop, we all of a sudden, oh, I'm thinking for myself, I joined another group of people. Well, did you really? you just, you're not necessarily thinking as an individual, but instead, you're just lined up with different people. So, this article is worth a read, written by Todd Rains, on July 13th, on Intellectual Takeout. Like, thinking you for yourself, thank you again. And finally, here's one more for you, it's from The Atlantic. And, it is, it was written, I don't see a date. By the way, it was very recent, and since I the downsides of America's hyper-competitive youth soccer industry, written by Linda Flanagan. Now, I love sports. I'm enjoying the World Cup. Go Croatia. And I love I love being around sports. I still play power wheelchair soccer. I've been around teams with my friends and family most of my life. So sports are very second nature to me. Now that being said, there is this current, right, where and you can see this in all sports, so don't just wait, yeah, don't just say it's soccer. I've seen it happen in basketball. There are other Different parts of the country, obviously, respond different to different sports, and they get more enthusiastic about such things. But now, in the U.S., we really have this system where it's, it's kind of a little bit exclusive, if you will. If you want to be a serious soccer player the a serious school and have a chance at a run scholarship, you better specialize. Play soccer all year round. Because if you don't, you're not going to have the ability that all these other guys have or are to do such things. The, I think about this in terms of meaning, right? Because we try to establish our meaning through our own achievements. Athletics, academics, you name it. We... We find our identity in being good at what we do, and (coughs) if that's true, then I think our hunt for meaning is going to be wanting, because that's not going to provide the ultimate happiness, and this article talks about that, how a lot of soccer players really, they end up In the system, they, (coughs) sorry about that, they end up in the system, they want to do really well because they love to play soccer, they push harder and harder and harder, and then they don't enjoy it anymore, because it's practically become an obsession, and almost a never-ending, you know, rise to the top, and... I mean, I have to ask, if our meaning is in our sports, what happens when you're injured? What happens when you blow out your knee and you're just not the player you used to be? What happens when you can't financially afford anymore to play in this hyper competitive soccer league? If that's where your meaning is established, that is going to leave you wanting. Now, this is a great article all the way around. I would definitely recommend it. The Downsides of America's Hypercompetitive Youth Soccer Industry. It was written by Linda Flanigan in The Atlantic. And I don't see a date, which is strange. But it was definitely recently in July. So, that's all I have for y'all. Thank you for coming along. I hope you enjoyed this little talk about meaning and what... um you know, how meaning is something hard to hum by, and oftentimes we just pursue it in ways that aren't healthy and don't really really provide the satisfaction that we so desperately want. There's only one way you can do that. We talked about it in the first article. You really need God to help. God has given you a purpose, and your most fulfilled life is going to be when you are moving in the direction that god would have you to move when you align yourself with his will using the gifts and talents that he's given you it is going to be remarkable miraculous even but first we have to be willing to take that step so thanks everyone have an excellent week and i will talk to you again